The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, News Talk 1010's Jason Agnew is here. Rob Davis, former Toronto City Councilor, founder of Rob Davis Associates. Uh, Chloe Brown's on the panel. We're just trying to uh, set her up, but let's start. Rob Davis, uh, you're the man of the hour here, although I guess it's a glass half full. They're not going to yep. rename Dundas Street, but we are going to rename the ridiculously named Young Dundas Square. Well, that's that's relatively good news. Um I, I, you know, I, as I was planning uh, to be on the show today, I thought I was thinking about the Sky Dome and the multiple iterations of that name, and I still refer to it as Sky Dome. So I think it's going to take a long time for uh, Sankofa Square to sort of catch people's imagination, and I suspect for, uh, you know, 20, 20 years hence uh, from now, there'll be people still calling it Young Dundas Square, but there'll be an entire generation of people who'll call it Sankofa Square, and and if it means saving... 11 or 12 million dollars of taxpayers money and that's the soft compromise then uh, then I'm all for it. Okay, and we're going to rename Dundas Station downtown and apparently Toronto Metropolitan University will pick up most of the tab for that. So that's some nice I don't know it's necessarily 3P. Uh, and then we're going to have to rename a library and one other subway station. It's still a bit of rigmarole, isn't it? It, it is. And and I I still I I believe this money could be better used to invest in people. You know, I, I, I jokingly said to somebody the other day, uh, oh, Jerry Agar, I said, you can imagine the crew, the sign crew coming along uh, while a homeless person is sleeping under a sign uh, and two or three folks show up. A guy goes up in the bucket. They change the sign. They, they, they take down the old sign. They put up the new sign. They drive off and the homeless person will still be sitting, you know, underneath that signpost. That's what's going to happen at Young Dundas Square. The, the homeless folks who are who are literally living across the street from Young Dundas Square? The, those refugees that came from from West Africa who had to stay out in the rain—they're still going to be there. So changing the name is nice, but it's not a must-have. It's a nice-to-have, and I think we got to deal with the must-haves—the things that we have to do, like taking care of people on the streets, making sure they're safe, and making sure that they have a a, a roof over their head and a warm and a hot meal in their belly. That matters more to me than changing the name of, of Jane uh, Dundas Library. Okay, Jason Agnew, Sankofa Square. Um, it seems to come out of the blue. Yeah, John, you referred to the ridiculously named square, and I didn't know whether you were referring to Sankofa or Young Dundas, because they both can, I'd use that word for both of them, actually. Yeah, well, I was referring to Young Dundas, which I've often said is like calling your dog, dog. You know, it just, I thought, can we not get a little bit more creative? But without, you know, bashing this forever, Rob Davis, let me come back to you, because you didn't really weigh sure. in on Sankofa. I mean, I'd like to see the short list. We never did. I thought it would have been nope. fun if we could have voted, and it didn't have to be a Bodie McBoatface situation. They could have said, here are five, what do you think? I just right. find, it's, it seems very sweet, but it also seems very CBC. Yeah, so... I was around many, many years ago when we actually created Young Dundas Square. So I voted to essentially uh, uh, buy up the properties that created that location. Um, Kyle Ray, who was the local councillor, was instrumental in that. And the idea of Young Dundas Square is that it was a, a focus for tourists. It was going to be a place in the downtown core that was going to be a lot like Times Square in, in New York City, uh, where people could come to celebrate. Uh, yes, there, we knew there were going to be billboards and ads up 
Um, and and we we literally uh, literally purchased uh, land from people against their will uh, to make that square. So I I think um, the perspective that they went at it was was the wrong perspective. Um, they should have gone at it from the perspective of what would be the name that we could use that would attract tourists. And yes, there'll be lots of African tourists who like that, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to bring us the most return on the investment. The purpose of Young Dundas Square was supposed to be a space that we attract attracted tourists and brought tourism to the downtown core and brought Torontonians to the downtown core. That was a tourist to what though, Rob tourists to what there's nothing there. It's not used to celebrate anything. We have our festivals at Nathan Phillips square or Mel Lastman square. It's simply never been utilized properly. We now stand there and stare at what used to be the hard rock cafe, which was actually a great entertaining space upstairs. And now it's a shopper's drug mart. There's <laughs> Nothing there for tourists. Don't forget the guy yelling on a loudspeaker about Jesus. Yeah, that guy. He's the most attractive thing for tourists, so they <laughs> well, can go no, talk to be, about him. To be fair, there there are a lot of staged events at that location. The, the, I think the problem is that the, the size of the square was not necessarily amenable to doing something that really, really was impactful. Nathan Phillips Square is a lot bigger, and it's only three blocks away. Um, but again, folks, the, I'm, I'm talking about the history from the 70s, from the 90s, beg your pardon. Um, and that was its intention. So Bring me back the, the big jeans store on the corner. Thank okay. you very oh, much. Uh, and excuse me, don't forget the Licks, the Licks Burger place that used to be there as well. That was also one of my favorite. I actually cried the day that that Licks closed. Uh, I think there are still Licks there. Uh, Chloe Brown, we've uh, managed to connect with on the phone. Your thoughts about Sankofa Square? Uh, not really feeling it. To be honest, I have to agree with Jason on the issue of Nothing really happens out there. There's no regular programming. It feels like a cheaper version of Times Square with all the screens. And even if they change the name, I don't think it's going to attract anyone out there if they don't change what they want to happen there. Let's mix it up on a few things I didn't get to on round one. And one of those would be Ottawa actually has been working on this for a good long time. So it's not like it's a new brainstorm. Ottawa's working on plans to create a path to citizenship for Canadians who don't actually have their paperwork. And uh, let me start with Chloe Brown on this one. What we're talking about here is, let's say you came to Canada, did a university degree, but you fell in love and you want to stay, but you don't have the paperwork, you quietly let your visa expire, and now all of a sudden you're or uh, undocumented, and this would be a pathway to citizenship. I think it's a good idea. As a bureaucrat that's had to work with uh, Immigration Refugee Citizenship Canada, it's a maze, uh, a labyrinth of paperwork, and only the strong survive it. So I would really like to see the government actually try to work with settlement agencies to make a clear path forward, because we do need these graduates. We need these foreign professionals to be filling the labor gap, but they can't do it if they have to become legal experts in immigration themselves. Jason, there are a lot of similar stories that have been told in the United States. I mean, there are some people who might have been here for 40 years. They're in their 60s. They've got three kids, all born and educated and now working in Canada. So you just make it easier for them to find a way to legitimize their citizenship. 
Yeah, I like this, especially if it is targeted against people that are already in the workforce or people who have been educated and are going to get into the workforce in Canada. If it can be made easier for productive citizens to continue to be productive and actually become legal citizens, then I'm all for it. Okay, and Rob Davis, there are others. And as a matter of fact, Deb Hutton was saying this at uh, 6.20 this morning on the morning brief. She said, no, there can't, you can't have forgiveness for one group and then tell other people they have to line up from across the ocean and do the paperwork before they come. So the an amnesty, uh, maybe a one-time amnesty is not necessarily a bad idea. That might be the saw-off. Um, but otherwise, you are going to encourage people to come here on visitor visas and student visas and then run from the system for a number of years, uh, hide from the system for a number of years, and then try to you know, legalize their situation. So I, my concern, like, like with Debs, I suspect, would be uh, that you're going to encourage people to break the rules in order to jump the line. And what we have to do is we have to look at this from a very practical perspective. And that is a one-time amnesty, you've got a certain period of time, and then the amnesty is closed off for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. Um, I think this happened back in the, uh, the mid-80s. I think it was the Maloney government created an amnesty for folks to regularize their citizenship or their, or their status, um, but then they closed it off for many, many years. So, um, look, the idea here is to make sure that, as uh, I, I hate to quote Donald Trump, but we either have a country or we don't have a country, and we need to make sure that citizenship is something that is sacrosanct, that has value, and it doesn't have value if you just give it to everybody. Um, any professor, I think, would give failing marks to the Ontario Human Rights Commission for spending six years on its inquiry into racial bias and anti-black racism by the Toronto police force. Also, i a little miffed that the data they're working from, but I realize it's pre-carding, pre-the end of carding, is from 2008 to 2013. But Chloe Brown, I would imagine most people in the black community are saying, yeah, welcome to my world. Yeah, this is one of those bureaucrat issues that I'm really hoping gets untangled with the upcoming budget that the Toronto Police will be submitting to the City Council. And there's a need for transparency not only in public accounting, but also in their performance metrics. How are the police engaging in measuring their success, their training and development? And I think the public should be able to add to those metrics. Um, At this point, these are circular conversations in certain communities, and we really just need to move forward with practical solutions. So that will require co-working on making a better policing service. Jason, there are a hundred recommendations in here, and I'm sure many of them are worthy, but I also worry that this report on date of publication is already out of date. Yeah, clearly there's a problem here, but the first thing you do is look at the headline and the byline below that is from 28 to 2013. That's where this data is coming from. And I'm sure the problem is still there, but you might. why are we working with data from 10 years ago? It, it, it just seems like that can immediately disregard this report. Although Rob Davis, any member of the black community in Toronto will tell you stories. I mean, Desmond Cole told me about how he was walking through a neighborhood with a white woman and a police officer came over and said, ma'am, are you okay? And, you know, that's the kind of presumed bias I think that this report is really at. Yeah, I've had that happen to me. Uh, I've had a cop ask me that, uh, ask her that uh, when walking with a person who was white. Look, um, there needs to be radical change in terms of the way policing is done um, as it relates to uh, 
the, the inherent bias that's uh, not necessarily an inherent bias that's with police, but I think police reflect society. There's an inherent bias in society. That being said, I, I have to give some credit to somebody. Um, I remember bringing members of the African Canadian Legal Clinic in to meet uh, then PC party leader Patrick Brown, and he had this thing that he, at the beginning of the meeting, and he said, uh, don't convince me, you don't need to convince me that carding is bad. I simply asked my MPPs from communities that are all white, um, essentially, how much carding happens in their community, and they said none. And he said, so if it's only happening in areas where there happen to be people who are uh, visible minorities or racialized minorities, then I know it's inherently racist. I'm against carding. That being said, carding is not in and of itself the problem. It's the bias that was used in only carding people who happen to be of African uh, descent. So, uh, so I think that is the problem. The ultimate problem is the inherent bias that people have, uh, people who become police officers, people who become civil servants, people who become radio hosts. And we have to work on making sure that as a society, we sort of uh, educate out or grow out or, 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 or you know, I was going to use a bad word, but, but uh, you know, beat out uh, the bias that's in people's hearts. And that's the biggest problem. Like we can change a sign to Sankofa, but we can't change what's in people's hearts uh, by changing a sign. And that's the ultimate root cause of many of our problems. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Have a great weekend. Jason Agnew, Rob Davis, and Chloe Brown. And Rob Davis, the first pundit, I think, ever to use what they call in comedy a callback. We began and ended on the same topic. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.